reading of the word today. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We have been talking on Sunday mornings about matters of the heart. Our key verse that we've been launching from is Proverbs 4.23. says, keep thy heart with all diligence. That means do everything you can. Guard it. Take care of it. Keep it. What What did the Lord tell Adam and Eve with the garden? Keep the garden. Tend to the garden. Okay? It's, this is going to be, the garden was a reflection of Adam's diligence. Right? And our heart is a reflection of our diligence. You could ignore it or you could tend to it. Let's look at children. If you have a child and you don't keep it or tend to that child, that child is going to be a reflection of your diligence, right? And you may not, you may not see the result of your negligence at two year old, at two years old, but at twenty years old, you're going to see the results of your negligence when you didn't keep it. And the heart's the same way. You may not can tell right away if you don't keep it, but as time goes on. You're going, to, you're going to realize, hey, I, I, I didn't necessarily do what I was supposed to do with my heart. Said, so keep it with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Amen. You may be seated. Anybody ever heard the expression, they've got issues? That person's got some issues. That's our nice way of saying something ain't right with that person. All right, you know where the issues spring from? The heart. Those issues, Scripture tells us, out of it are the issues of life. If you keep your heart, your heart will keep you. But when you don't tend to your heart, do what you're supposed to do with your heart. Then time reveals the issues as they spring forth. Anybody ever experienced anger? Everybody? We're going to talk about anger today. So I might need a little more time. That's why I took, took the time I needed. Everybody here can relate to getting angry. Somebody's alarm's going off, FYI. Y'all hear it? It's gone. That was that squirrel. Anger. Anybody ever heard this? I almost lost my Holy Ghost. There are times I wish living for God had pause mode. Hold on, let me pause this. 
Let me go over here in my flesh a second, and I'll go over there and pick back up where I left off here in just a minute. And the blood's fixing to cover everything that I do right now. The Holy Ghost. I almost lost my Holy Ghost. They made me so mad, I almost lost my Holy Ghost. I've said that. What we're saying is our, our anger rose to the surface. And the dirt on the old man is about that deep. It don't take much for that old man to start kicking up at that coffin to get out. That's why Paul said, I've got to die daily. Because if I don't, if I don't put that flesh under subjection as much as I, I'll say this, I need it more than once a day. I need to say, God, you got to help me. You got to help me. Because my greatest battle, I'm, now I'm, everything that I'm preaching this morning, I've already preached to me. Okay, this is round two for me. Because my greatest battle is my tongue, my anger. I get it honest. It's in my family on both sides. I love my mama. But my mama was so quick-witted, she could whittle you down before you realize anything happened. You're just standing there trying to process. I really think she just sliced me to pieces. She had that wit, just, and I get it honest. I, if, I let, if I let my tongue go, I can slice and dice and nobody realizes. They'll, they'll just be there stunned that I just did that. It takes the Holy Ghost. And you know what? There's people in here that can relate to that. You don't struggle in a bunch of different areas, but when it comes to the tongue and anger, I'm like a bottle rocket. I blow up fast and then I come down that fast. I'm not a crock pot. I'm not simmering. And then in eight months, blow up, and then we'll go back eight months later and start talking about it. I ain't a crock pot. We're going to blow up. We're going to deal with it. It's done. We got crock pots and bottle rockets in this congregation this morning. The carnal man thrives on anger. Anger produces and leads to vengeance and vindictiveness. In fact, Proverbs 29, 22 says, an angry man stirreth up strife. If there's usually problems in a congregation, it's because someone stirred them up. You know, there's some people that when you remove them from the equation... The mud puddle clears up. But as soon as they get back in, there's drama. There's problems. They're stirring something. They're just stirring something up. They got a way of just putting people at odds against each other. I hope God helps me today. Because I got a lot to say, and I don't want to offend anybody. 
But the bottom line is this. If there was less anger, there'd be less problems in the church. Now, anger manifests itself all kinds of ways. When we think of anger, we think of red-faced and spitting and, and ah. But there's people that are angry that have mastered a spirituality. And they're using their anger in subtle ways to pit people against people. And I'd rather deal with a roaring lion than a subtle serpent. I can see that line coming. But that serpent is masking itself. Real subtle. A little deal here. See, everybody's on their best behavior when pastor walks in. But it's what they do when pastor's not around. Boy, this is already worth the CD this morning. I'm only eight minutes in this thing. But when we get the Holy Ghost, you're supposed to bury that old man. Put on the new man. And this is what is supposed to happen. What Paul said. He wrote to the church at Ephesus and he wrote in Colossians. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, all those are related. You know where they come from? Because when you get the Holy Ghost, you get a new heart. He said, be put away from you with all malice. That all those old workings and emotions of the heart, of the old man, you're supposed to leave buried. And then you put, he puts a new heart in you. And the new heart is going to be the opposite of the old. Right? Colossians 3 and 8, but now you also put off all these anger, wrath, Malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man. And it said, not just put off the old man, it says put off the old man with his deeds. In other words, all the stuff the old person did, you're supposed to leave buried. The way that you used to act, the anger that you used to have, all of the bitterness you used to carry, all that stuff's supposed to stay buried. And when you put on the new man, you're supposed to act different. Notice, supposed to. That's like say, well, he allegedly did this, did that. It's a shame we're supposed to preface the way we're supposed to act. God expects us to act the right way. Amen? I want you to know this morning that once you get the Holy Ghost and you're buried with him in baptism, that does not mean that you'll never get angry again. 
I know people in times past that came to the Lord and they struggled because they still got upset. They still got angry. Then they lived with condemnation because they got angry. That's a trick of the enemy. Because anger in itself is not wrong. It's not a sin. Because Jesus knew no sin, right? But if you look at the man with the withered hand in Mark 3 and 5, it says, and when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Jesus looked on them with anger. What about the time he made the whip and he went into the temple and he drove out the money changers and turned over the tables? Anger. But he didn't sin. It was righteous indignation. For instance, if you follow any of the uh, political landscape and and you see the moral uh, inequality and evil rising to the surface and all of the sinful agenda, that ought to make you angry. But that's righteous indignation. Angry at the sin that's parading in the world. You're not judging or hating the person. You're angry at what you see happening behind the scenes and the sinful agenda. That makes me angry. But I'm not mad at that person for who they are. That person could get the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name and make it to heaven. But it says in Ephesians, be ye angry and sin not. That's where anger becomes wrong. Is when my anger turns into actions. Everybody in here has been angry. But that doesn't mean you had to sin. Or you were wrong for how you felt. The key is to not let your anger turn into actions. You got to keep the heart. You got to keep the heart. Benjamin Franklin said this whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. Anybody ever got angry, acted out, said something, and you thought, I just really wish I wouldn't have said that. Wish I wouldn't have handled it that way. Could have handled it better if I'd have got all my facts straight first. My pastor, this is, if, if there's a line he told me time and time again throughout my ministry, especially when it came to pastoring, probably more when it came to pastoring, this is the line. Tyler, there's nothing that says you got to deal with it today. And this is 
This is 40 plus years of pastoral wisdom because he said there were times I'd hear something and I'd have a knee-jerk reaction, impulsively want to take charge. My motives were right. I'm going to deal with it. Didn't have all the facts. My motives were right, but I didn't handle it right. He said, if you'll just be patient, You'll gather more material, gather more facts. God will give you wisdom to make a better decision on how to handle the situation versus drawing a sword every time you get an impulse and messing people up along the way. So if you've ever wondered, why is he not dealing with that? Nothing it says I got to deal with it today because there's been times I watched God fix stuff in an altar. I didn't have to do nothing. I let God work a situation out. Didn't have to put any blood on my hands or draw a sword or do anything. Now, there's times I've just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost say, right now, deal with it. And I deal with it. But I've learned that I don't have to draw a sword every, if I drew a sword every time I heard something, it would never be in the sheath. I just walk around with it out. I don't have that much time. Be not hasty, Ecclesiastes 7 and 9, in thy spirit to be angry. You ever known anybody that, it's like they lived waiting to get mad. I mean, they were just ready for, they was looking for something to get mad about. It didn't take any. They had a hair trigger. Had their feelings on their sleeve and you couldn't get around them. They'd, you'd say something, they'd get mad. It says, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Proverbs fourteen seventeen. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly and a man of wicked devices is hated. You know, you can read Proverbs and you can get a sermon out of every scripture. There's a lot of wisdom. If you don't know what to read, I've done this for years. If you just open your Bible and say, Lord, I don't even know where to start. Think of what day it is. Today's the 18th and read Proverbs 18 because there's 31 chapters for 31 days in a month. And if it's a day with 30, Read the last two on the last day. And you can start it every month. And I promise you, you can read it and you'll read something new every time you read it in the book of Proverbs. Anger. Nobody wants to be around people who are always angry. If we've got the Holy Ghost, then people ought not have to wonder if we've got the Holy Ghost. Amen? It ought to be evident. When, when Peter and John, the, the, the Bible said that they looked on them and took notice that they had been with Jesus. That was not just because they were doing miracles. There had to be something evident. That person's been with the Lord. And I want to ask you, can people tell 
if you've been with Jesus. There ought to be something stand out in your life. I'm not talking about just the way you dress. I don't know. I want to say it's because I'm close to the Lord. But I cannot tell you the times I've been in just regular old clothes. Just somewhere. And they'll go, preacher, huh? I've been pulled over by a cop. Getting a ticket. Preacher. Then I go, I hope I didn't say nothing bad. Not bad, but you know what I'm talking about. I've been ordering food at Silver Dollar City. Getting one of them skillet things. And he's scooping up the food going, you got to be a preacher. I'm just wearing normal clothes. There's got to be something about you that when people look at you or they're around you, they can just feel something. They just, that person's been with the Lord. That person's not right. I can't tell you the times I've heard people say, I've tried backsliding and went out in the world and I was sitting at a bar, not me, the person. And they said, somebody come up to me and say, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Because once you've been with Jesus, you'll never fit in anywhere else in the world. You'll never, it don't matter what you dress like. You've already tasted of his goodness. Is there anybody here today that can say, God's been good to me? God's been good to me. Best thing that ever happened to me. And it is nothing but a trick of the enemy to get us angry at each other. Because that will lead to division. I've often wondered how, how is it possible? Now, if y'all can tell me this answer, I want to know it. How is it possible for two people to pray together at an altar and then talk about each other when they leave? I don't understand it. My mind cannot fathom it. How you could say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. And then walk out and share your opinion to people that don't care and don't need it. It's not a church issue. It's a heart issue. You've heard me say it before. Adam and Eve had one rule. And they couldn't keep one rule. We don't need more rules. We need right hearts. Because if the heart's right, you don't need a bunch of rules. The heart's going to do what pleases the Lord. But when the heart's not right, it don't matter how many rules you got, you're not going to keep them. And I'll just, I'll just go on and hit a bunch of stuff because if you get angry, I'm preaching to you. It's not about... I can't do it in front of the preacher. You think I'm going to mail God a letter and turn you in? 
or tattle on you? It's about God. If you're doing it because of the preacher, go out there and sing it. You're missing it. I do it to please God. To live for God. I don't care what anybody else does. I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm not doing it to get the checks on my report card. I'm doing this because I'm walking in harmony with the Lord. And I want to be pleasing to the Lord. I want a right heart. I want a right heart. Amen. So we're going to talk about anger. How do we express anger? Three ways. What we do, what we say, and how we say it. Right? So what we do, somebody makes us mad. I'm not, now I'm not talking about frustration. We can get frustrated at the drop of a hat. I get frustrated if they ask me to pull ahead at McDonald's and get in that slot. That's frustration. Okay? That's not anger. I get upset because they just want to clear their little clock and make it look like they served me, but they didn't. They got 10 cars lined up over here. And they're going to forget your barbecue sauce when they walk out there. I'm talking about true anger. Do you seek retaliation? Because this is what I know. Hurt people hurt people. You want to get, you? they make you mad? I will make them mad. And we seek retaliation. We seek, we want to be vindictive. You know, that was fine under the Old Testament. You heard me talk about it. It was eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. You read Leviticus. There's a bunch of rules. This is what happens if if this guy kills your ox, you kill his ox. It's equal. But the Bible says Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to erase it. What's the fulfillment of the law? Love. Love. So Jesus stepped up, and this is what he says. You've heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. That was, that was Old Testament. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. There's nobody I know of that says, my favorite verse is Matthew 5.44. Nobody. In fact, if I said, can anybody quote Matthew 5.44? It's, it's not on your bucket list of scriptures to memorize. You know why? We don't like it. Our flesh does not like it. Love your enemies. Don't want to do it. Bless them that curse you. Not today. Do good to them that hate you. Ain't going to happen. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Nope. Don't sign me up for none of them. I don't want to do it. Now I'm being real. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth. Oh, I'll pray for them. 
I pray they go bankrupt. I'll pray all kind of prayers. That's how we, I'm talking about, I'm using humor, but I'm talking about our flesh. Pray they get a flat tire on the way to work. Pray this, pray, oh, I'll pray for them. That's, that's how we, that's how our flesh feels. He says that ye may be the children of your father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sendeth the rain on the just and the unjust. All right, so here's the kicker. Verse 46. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? He's saying it doesn't take any love or effort to love people that love you, to do good to people that do good to you, and talk nice. He, he said sinners can do that. What, what's the reward? If you're going to be my child, you got to do what the world won't do. You got to love that person that don't love you back. It does not. You say, well, I tried and they didn't respond like I wanted to. That's on them. That's like if you need forgiveness and you go ask for forgiveness, you did your part. You can't make anybody forgive you, but you can ask for forgiveness and then it's off of you onto them. It doesn't matter what they do or how they respond. You're not responsible for them. You're responsible for you. He says, if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. What, it doesn't make us Christians to love our brothers. What makes us followers of Christ is how we treat the world. Amen? Because it takes a lot of love when people are bashing you. I heard a preacher one time. He had been betrayed by someone so close to him and was in so much pain and hurt and he went to prayer and was praying and God, why this, why that? And the Lord spoke to him and said, haven't you been praying that you wanted to be more like me? And he said, yes, Lord. He said, you've never been more like me than when you're betrayed. Shouting doesn't make you like the Lord. How you handle people will reveal how much you're like the Lord. Are you going to get mad and retaliate? What did he do with Judas? He kissed him, called him his friend. You got to remember, you will not make it through life without enemies. You won't. Life necessitates enemies. But those enemies will make you better.
they'll make you better. Jesus had to have an enemy to fulfill his purpose. He could have never went to Calvary without an enemy. And God will allow people in your life, I call them grace builders. They're going to teach you how to give grace, how to love people you don't get along with. He's not going to remove them. He's not. He's going to leave people in place. They might be that old uncle that you don't, everybody's got that uncle, that family member. You can't avoid them. They're there. But God's going to leave those people in your life to teach you how to treat people that you don't get along with. Anybody can hang out with people who you get along with. My mama taught me years ago. She said, don't flock to those people that are the most popular, that have everybody hanging around them. She said, you go in that, you walk in the room, you see somebody sitting by themselves, that's who you go talk to. Go take, make that person feel like they're the most important thing in the room. Because if you don't, they're just going to sit there. You realize that there's people that don't show up to church functions or don't go to youth events because nobody talks to them? I don't understand that. We're in the same kingdom, supposed to be going to the same place, and all that you think all of a sudden, when you get to the other side, something's going to flip and you're going to want to talk to that person? If you can't talk to them down here, how are you going to talk to them over there? I'll say this. If you can't work alongside with someone in the church, arm to arm in the trenches, because you got a personality conflict or you don't get along with them? You think you're going to get to request what block of heaven you get to live in? I, I really, if Lord, if there's any way possible, we didn't get along down there. I don't really don't know if we're going to get along up here either. Thank you, Brother Maurice. Probably ain't. We got to learn to walk, work arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. Doesn't matter who it is. Why I was so I was so pastor proud when we went to the Dominican because I watched all the way from teenager to not teenager. Work side by side. Took us a few about a few hours to figure once everybody got in their lane. It was just like clockwork. It was seamless. And I thought this, and, and, and working with people that didn't even speak our language. But we had one objective. See, when you got one objective, you figure out a way to get on the same page. But when, you, when you're trying to work your personal agenda instead of God's agenda. Amen? We can all work together if our heart is right. We can all go to heaven if our heart's right. Do we seek retaliation? Or do we let God take care of the situation? So what we do is an expression of how we're handling our anger. But then beyond that, what you say 
and how you say it takes both. Because you can have one but not the other and still be wrong. For instance, if I said, I really love you. I got one of them. But do you think they believed it? Or, okay. I can't stand you. I got one, but not the other. You got to have both of them. What you say and how you say it. They got to be in harmony. Remember this. You'll never regret something you don't say. It's way easier to fix it here than to fix it here. How many, here we go, y'all ready? I'm not asking you to raise your hands. I'll raise mine. How many have, remember I talked about that vault where we store stuff that we want to use later in life? When the right time, the ammo we keep, you know, that Thanksgiving dinner and different things. You've exploded and then you just opened up the arsenal. Fired away. Felt great. Got it all out. And then you're just like, oh man. Well, I really didn't mean it. Eh. Eh. You said it. And so we try to put that salve on it. You know I don't really mean that. I I was just angry. Now I'm fixing to make y'all close your eyes and raise y'all's hands so it's not just me up here being honest. Because I know I'm telling the truth. We've all had, I'm going to just say, at least one moment in our life where we unloaded our vault Felt great while we were doing it. I mean, just sling. Didn't even let them get up to try to get on their feet. Just knocked them out. And then we come to our senses and realize, I just did a whole lot of damage. That pleasure was momentary. Shouldn't have said all that. Because they can't unhear just like you can't unsay. They heard it. And you can sit there and and love on it all you want. You said it. You said it. Ninety percent of the friction of daily life is caused by the wrong tone of voice. This is the danger of text messaging. Because We interpret the words we read through our own logic. And if you already know someone's got friction with you, you're automatically going to read that with friction. Oh, this is good. And we got a lot of problems that are birthed 
that were never even meant to be created because someone misinterpreted a text message. I'm going to show you how our mind thinks. Say I got a problem with Brother Glenn, which I don't. That's why I use him a lot because I don't have a problem. I'm not going to use somebody. I don't have a problem with anybody in here, okay? <laughs> Saw how the Holy Ghost just helped me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Y'all literally saw the angel of the Lord swoop down here. Rescue me at my point of need. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You know, there's people that watch this. But let's just hypothetically say, I want to clear up something between me and Brother Glenn. And I, I've been chewing on it and chewing on it. Boy, it's just been eating me alive and the Lord deals with me in prayer. And I shoot him. I fire him away at just a, a text message of sincere apology. Brother, I'm sorry, blah, blah, whatever. And his phone died. And he's not anywhere around the charger. Here we go. I knew it. I knew it. I, here I am trying to obey the Lord and send him a text and he's plumb ignoring me. He's not, he's going to let me just sit here. And by the time he gets to a charger five hours later, he puts a little juice and all of his text messages coming through. I have done work myself up and made something. Wasn't even there. Y'all know I'm telling you the truth. Because it has happened. I'm using a very simple analogy to show you how our minds can mess us up because of text messaging. If I got something to settle, I want to either be face-to-face, -face, that's preferable, or if not possible, talking on the phone. Because you can hear tone. You can see expression. It don't say, you know, that book right there, it says if you got some something against somebody, you go to them. Now, God knew there was text messaging. There would be text messages. It does not say send them a message. Go to them. But what we want to do is we want to be right with the least amount of pain. That's why more people text that they're not going to make it to work than call. They don't have to face the music and deal with them. Or I can just send them a text. And if you do that, I'm not pointing fingers at you. I don't even know you do it. I'm just saying in society, we want the route with the least amount of pain. Least amount of confrontation. There was a day, it was an honorable thing, put a two weeks notice in. That'll leave you for a nickel. Raise. No loyalty. You're not going to hear about people working 30 years or 35 years much longer at a place. Because it's all we're living in a society, it's about me. It's about me. A word. Fitly spoken, Proverbs 25, 11, is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. 
what we say. It's one thing to get angry. Like I said, it's not a sin. It's not wrong. But will your anger come out of your mouth with what you say? Your words. I'll never forget my brother. I don't think this is too personal. Oh, well, he'll forgive me if it is. Turn the live stream off just in case. It's not bad. Maybe I shouldn't say it. Never mind. But I'm going to say it. I'll never forget my brother. Now, my brother is a big guy. My older brother, he's a big guy. He's, he's probably 300 pounds. He's always just been a bigger guy. And I'll never forget, I was about 16 years old. Maybe 15, 16, old enough to know better. My brother, even though he's big, he's always been lightning fast, like cat-like reflexes. <sighs> okay, I was raised with boys, okay? There were times I'm not being whatever, a boy take a shirt off at home. That's just a boy. And he said something to me, and he had a birthmark on his stomach. And it was a dark birthmark. And I just before I thought about it, I said, boy, wipe that chocolate off your belly. The next thing I knew, I was up off the ground against the wall like this. It, was, it happened so fast, I didn't even know it. I never said another word to him ever since that day. I've never messed with him. That fast, it'll come out of your mouth when you get mad and you don't even realize Anybody ever heard you, you, you heard yourself saying something out of anger and you didn't even know it was coming out? You're just like, this is fixing to be bad. I probably shouldn't be saying this. What we say has to match our tone. And if you can let the moment pass, there's a good chance the Holy Ghost will deal with it. In your own mind. I would rather give mercy than be judgmental. All right, and what I mean is this let's just pretend somebody said something to you and it upsets you. You've got two choices. You can dissect that and go, Yeah, they meant it like this. They meant to hurt me. Or you can go, I know, I, I really don't think they mean it like that. I don't think they meant to do that. You've got the choice of how you're going to process what happened. And I'm, I'm telling you, let the Holy Ghost give mercy. Give the benefit of the doubt. Surely that person wouldn't be. I, I, I know them too well. They didn't mean it like that. They did. But here's what happens. When you get offended, it's easier to get offended. It starts a snowball of offense. Offended people. This is how they get offended. You could go by, I could, I could go by Brother Britt, slap him on the shoulder and say, boy, Brother Britt, you sure do look sharp tonight. And this is what an offended person is going to think. 
Well, I don't always look sharp. I'm telling you. I, I held on to a fence for seven years. I know what it's like to view things through a fence. Anger. And then, not just that person's going to keep offending you. Pretty soon you're going to start reading into what everybody's doing. And pretty soon everybody's against you. And the problem's not with anybody except you. Because you got something stuck in your crawl. And it planted a root of bitterness. And it began to just grow in your heart. And you started getting upset. There's people sitting on church pews, going to church prayer rooms that are literally bound by offense. Anger. Frustration. At people. They're losing sleep at night. And the people that supposedly, allegedly, did it, are sleeping like babies. Because they never even meant anything ill towards that person. That person took something out of context. You know what happens when you take something out of context? It loses its original meaning. I'm going to give you for instance. Somebody sent me a clip a few services ago. And it, and it was hilarious. And it said, preacher sermon something taken out of context. He was making a joke. Do y'all remember here a few weeks ago, I was talking about the aging process. I can tell it really moved y'all. Everybody's like, I remember! And I made a quote, and the quote was, and I stood like right here, and I said, I don't care how much cosmetic surgery you get. And then I paused. You can't stop the aging process. So the clip was, I don't care how much cosmetic surgery you get. Taken out of context. You got to hear the rest of it to get context. Right? When you take something out of context, it means something different than what it was originally intended. And offense happens and anger happens when you take something out of context. Somebody said it because they meant it like this. But because you've been hurt by them before, you took it like this. And you applied it to fit your narrative. They meant to hurt me. They didn't mean to hurt you. I cannot fathom in my mind Anybody in here or in the kingdom of God meaning intentionally trying to hurt somebody. I'm not saying this never happened. I said, I can't understand that. If I love you and I'm praying for you, why would I want to hurt you? Why would I want to say something slanderous? I don't understand that. Anger. We've, we're supposed to be like the Lord. This is how the Lord is in Micah, Micah 7, 18. It says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity 
and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. In other words, God's not going to hang on to his anger. He delighteth. What do you think he did with David when he sent the prophet and said, Thou art the man. God was mad. But just like that, when David turned his heart, God said, I'll forget about my anger because I love being merciful to people. Yes, David, there's consequences for your actions. You lost that child, but I'll give you another. And Solomon was birthed because David's heart got right with God. And God turned away his wrath. This is what James said, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Slow. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Stand with me. I didn't quite go an hour, but I'm not done yet. The Bible talks about when, when man messes up. Book of musicians, you can come. Trying to find the exact verse so I can quote it. But when you see that someone is fixing to have to rejoice not, verse 17 of Proverbs 24, rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbles. Now we're talking about your enemy. What scripture say? Love your enemy. It said, rejoice not when your enemy falleth. Let me give you an example. You ever heard this? Well, he had it coming. About time it caught up with him. Hey, I've met crooked people in life. Crooked businessmen. People that rather climb a tree to lie to stand on the ground and tell the truth. I've met them. I've also seen when their actions caught up with them. When that happens, it says rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. And let not thy heart be glad when he stumbleth. Why? Watch this. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath. For instance, you got Joe Blow over here. He's done a lot of bad stuff. And it looks like he's ne he never, never caught up with him. All of a sudden, it catches up with him. I got two options. I could sit here and rejoice over it and talk about it to everybody how it's about time he had it coming. And the Lord sees it. And the Lord sees how I'm gloating over his misfortune. And the Lord says... I ain't doing a thing about it. I'm turning my wrath away from that situation. 
because I'm seeing how my people are treating that. But if I just love them, then God says, I'll deal with him how I want to deal with him. But if I see that you're gloating over his misfortune, I'm not going to do nothing about it. I'm going to turn my wrath away from him. You want to look at how Jesus treated people? Look in the Gospels. He got madder at church people than he did worldly people because they thought they were better than the world. We're not better than anybody. And how we treat the lost is a reflection of our heart. I don't just need to love my church brethren and sisters. I need to love the lost. It don't matter how they treat me. I got to love them. I got to love them. The world was still the world when Jesus walked on this earth. They were still lost people. The Bible says he looked at them and he wept as sheep having no shepherd. They're lost. He said, I got to put a church in the midst of people to teach them how to find their way. And it's a travesty. I've heard people say, I'll never go to that church. Talking about whatever church. Because of how they were treated by church people. God help me. I want to love them. I don't care how mad they make me. I want to love them. I don't care how mad somebody in the church makes me. I want to love them. If that's your prayer today, I want you to come find you a place to stand. Let's let, I'm talking about our heart. I'm talking about getting our heart right. If you've got stuff all with all with people, you need to make it right. You need to make it right. That heart, you got to tend your heart. Lift those hands to heaven this morning. 